welcome to episode 58 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? Let's thank our Patreon subscribers to kick off this week's episode. We would like to thank Angel Mia Feimster. Kirsten Van Lerpel. Liesl Tarquini. Pause. Okay. Those two are sisters. Okay. So Kirsten's name is actually Kirsten Tarquini and Liesl's name is Liesl Tarquini. But both of them emailed me separately without realising the other one had emailed me. Right, okay. To be like, can you, one of them, I think it was Liesl message to say, can you call Kirsten, Kirsten Van Vlerpel? <laughs> and then Kirsten messaged and said, this is the phonetic breakdown of our names. Oh, okay. Because everybody always gets it wrong. Ah, okay, nice. So it really tickles me that they both emailed, or they both messaged me separately. (laughs) So hi, you lovely ladies. Thank you. We would like to thank Kat. Alex Trustum Eve. Elena H. Ali Reed. Disintegrated Jawa. Star Wars reference, like it. (laughs) Andres Cruz. Binks Games. Paris Coran. Toshiro Hitsugaya. Deb Morelli. Spooky. Becky Gates. Rebecca Rolfe. Lucy Musk. Hayley Dykstra. Jim Kennedy. And Elliot Eaton. Thank you so much. And I'm really sorry for some reason I just had a complete mind blank with Jim Kennedy, which is probably the easiest <laughs> name in the world to pronounce. I've never seen those letters <laughs> together before. Are you ready for our film review this week? Uh, yeah, I am actually. Our film review is The Hole in the Ground. The Hole in the Ground was released in 2019. It has 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb and 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would. One night, Sarah's young son disappears into the woods behind their rural home. When he returns, he looks the same, but his behaviour grows increasingly disturbing. Sarah begins to believe the boy who returned may not be her son at all. What are your thoughts? Uh, I feel like this film left a hole in my soul. Oh, God. (laughs) That's very dramatic. (laughs) I was just desperately trying to think of something that would lead into my review, but it didn't come out. It was okay. I don't think I liked it as much as you did. I have a big problem with the fact that there's a massive hole in the wood that she's not that bothered about and doesn't tell anybody about. We're not just talking about like a, a sinkhole. We're talking about like a... Like a meteorite crater. Yeah. And she's just, she's okay with that. So are there loads of holes in the woods in Ireland? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Although maybe there are. I thought she was. I thought they were good. Like, I thought the acting was good. I just didn't think much of the script. It was a bit slow. I found it a little bit dull, really. See, that's so bizarre. We like changed roles this week. Because <laughs> you were sitting, playing with Bim, playing on your phone. And I was engrossed in this film. And I don't know whether, real talk, I don't know whether because it was an Irish film, I desperately wanted to like it. But I really, I was really unnerved by it. I found it really unsettling. Oh, I think I think the concept of it's really unsettling, and that kid was creepy. Like he needed a good oh, job kicking yeah. down the oh, stairs. Oh, he was creepy. <laughs> oh, he was. And creepy. I thought it was actually I thought it was really well acted, and I thought the story was good. But it could have been told in like thirty minutes. There was a lot of nothing in that film. It was very slow. When I posted about it, a lot of people said they loved the first thirty minutes, and then after that, they were just like, "That's it. This is boring. This is going on too long." But I didn't find that. I don't know. I don't know why. I enjoyed it so much and you didn't. I'll tell you what, it was a good it was a good call to watch it this week after we watched Descent 2 last week because it's essentially Descent 3. So The Irish person. <laughs> the Irish person. So there are clearly creatures that look like these Descent things living under all over the world. Well, because it's a, it's a film essentially about changelings, you know, and it's about her son being taken and replaced by 
a changeling and whether or not that's actually true whether or not he has been replaced or whether or not she's having a breakdown or whatever it is I mean it's a oh yeah I mean yeah whoops I sorry that's gonna be a massive spoiler and I was like oh no people might not have watched it yet yeah it's just I, I would I would recommend watching it I thought it was really good the thing is though I don't think they have like I don't think they amped up enough about the the potential for it not being a changeling like I just felt it was a changeling from the start so you didn't like, think they portrayed the mental health thing no because you know in like hereditary they do it really well and you think mm. oh actually maybe this is just the mum going crazy whereas in this one I was like no her son's been taken like there is nothing about her that in this film that suggests that it could be any other option really there you is don't a, see it there is a bit that absolutely gave me the heebie-jeebies which was when she's looking through the keyhole of her son's bedroom into him and the way he's behaving in the bedroom yeah. made me want to vomit just don't look through keyholes either I know right don't look through keyholes if horror movies your kid, just open the door if horror movies have taught me anything is that you don't look through a keyhole because you will either have a big eye staring back at you or you're going to see something you don't want to see. Yeah. So why do it to yourself? And then he comes out really like confrontationally. He's like, mummy, mummy, is that you? Mummy. And he's mummy. stomping around the house. Ugh. I just, I, I found it, this to be a really disturbing, not disturbing, unnerving film. It really unsettled me. No, I didn't. I just felt it was like, everything was too signposted. Like I said to you, didn't I? Like, and you didn't even twig. But I was like, they're going to tell you that this guy, there's, there's something different about this kid because he's going to come out of school with friends and then literally the next scene, he's got friends and his mum's yeah. like, oh, that's unusual. My kid has got friends. Yeah, you were very good at spotting it. I don't know, I found... And there was no Tinkerbells in this either. No, is that what you think of fairies? <laughs> well, we've got a lot to learn this episode, eh? Um, I found that... Uh, the last kind of 15 minutes got a bit bollocksy. You know, the the kind of the climax, the closing scenes of the film. I was a bit like, oh God, yeah, we get it. You're in a big hole under the ground. Oh, move on. I just wasn't really that bothered It was just advice. a lack of discussion about this massive hole that she found in the forest that really disturbed me. <laughs> Nobody like, mentioned it. Nobody mentioned it. It's a huge hole. It's like a, it's like a meteor impact. And it was just like, oh yeah, standard. So what would you give this film out of five? Two. I give it a four. Oh my gosh, what's happened? Maybe we've changelinged. Maybe we are changelings. Oh my god, I I genuinely really enjoyed it. I'm I'm calling Irish bias on this. Thing. I've I am also calling Irish bias. I maybe maybe I, I did I just... think I did actually genuinely think the the lead actress Sienna whatever Sienna Sienna. No, it was Shauna. Shauna was really good, and I actually yeah. thought the little kid was good, and I thought the acting was great. Just didn't think much of the script. Which brings us to our topic this week. Script writing script writing <laughs> and how to do it effectively <laughs> we're going to be talking about changelings this ah. week what do you know about changelings so that's when it's essentially the real life version of Peter Pan so it's when the fairies come and steal your kids why do they come and steal your kids I don't know I've not got that far so that you can defeat the pirate right no I'm going to say no 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 to that one any idea how you would know that your child or an adult in your life is a changeling I think if they eat bugs yep that was a good one <laughs> that was a good one um, if they're slightly different and they call you mummy instead of mum okay so uh, we've got a, we've got an awful lot to learn <laughs> the most famous kind of version of a changeling story is the Angelina Jolie film I thought he was going to say is the Angelina is Jolie story. I was like, oh my God. It's the Angelina Jolie film. I can't remember what year it's from. I should have written that down and I didn't. Maleficent. Um, and the film is called Changeling. I'll stop now. Sorry. You're stressing me out this episode. <laughs> it is a true story. It's a real Changeling story. Okay. So I said, why don't we start there? Then we'll go into the lore. And then I'm going to tell you another story. Okay. How does so, that sound? Good. Except Will is now 
throwing the phone away. Why? Because you said it's based on a true story. Yeah, well, listen to it first. Okay. Listen to it first and then okay. you'll you'll understand. So, this comes from jhmoncrief.com, which is a lovely little synopsis of the real life story of the Changeling film. If any story proves the adage, truth is stranger than fiction, it's this one. It began in Los Angeles on March the 10th, 1928. Christine Collins, a manager at a telephone company, sent her nine-year-old son Walter to the movies. She never saw him again, though the Los Angeles police would have loved to convince her otherwise. When little Walter didn't return, Collins was at first convinced her son's disappearance was an act of retribution from the child's father, a con man and robber who was serving time at Folsom State Prison for armed robbery. Collins' cries for help didn't fall on deaf ears. The case received nationwide attention and the LAPD followed up on hundreds of leads, all for nothing. Pressure on local law enforcement increased as the public demanded to know why this boy hadn't been returned to his mother. Then, five months after Walter's disappearance, there was a chilling new development. A boy in Illinois claimed to be Collins's son. After exchanging letters and photographs, an overjoyed Collins agreed to pay for the child's train ticket to Los Angeles. But there was one problem. When Collins arrived at the happy little reunion the LAPD had arranged, she saw immediately that the boy was not her son. He resembled Walter, but Walter he most definitely was not. And that wasn't the only strange thing. When the police questioned Walter about the kidnapping and how he'd ended up in Illinois, the child's story didn't make any sense. Doctors felt the boy was keeping a secret, but they couldn't quite coax it out of him. It's terribly sad, but lots of children go missing. What made this story worthy of a Clint Eastwood movie almost 100 years later was LAPD Captain J.J. Jones's response. Instead of apologising to Collins, reimbursing the money she'd spent on the boy's train ticket and vowing to find her real son, Jones insisted that she try the boy out (laughs) as if he were a new type of toothpaste rather than a child. Jones was so insistent, so Collins struggled to convince herself that the strange boy was her son for three weeks. Finally, she'd had enough. This time she brought Walter's dental records and an army of friends to the police station with her. Her friends backed her up. They also insisted the child was not Walter Collins. Rather than back down and admit his mistake, Jones got angry. According to the LA Times, Jones allegedly accused Collins of shirking her duty as a mother and trying to make fools of the police. You are the most cruel-hearted woman I've ever known. You are a fool, he apparently told her. Not only did Jones refuse to believe Collins's protest that the boy was not her son, he had the woman committed to a psychiatric ward. But he must have had his own doubts by then, because during the first five days she was in hospital, Jones extracted a startling confession from the changeling. Finally, the child admitted he was not Walter Collins. His name was Arthur Hutchins. He was a 12-year-old runaway who'd pretended to be Walter so he could get a free trip to Hollywood and meet his favourite stars. Collins was finally released from the hospital 10 days after Hutchins confessed and she immediately sued Jones and the LAPD. She won, but never saw a penny of the judgement. So what happened to the real Walter Collins? Sadly, trial testimony shows he was the victim of Sarah and Gordon Northcott, 
mother and son serial killers who kidnapped, sexually assaulted and murdered a number of young boys. Understandably, Collins was not so convinced. While Gordon confessed to murdering Walter, he kept changing his story. When he couldn't recall Walter's eye colour or clothing, or in fact ever meeting the boy, it gave the grieving mother hope that her child was still alive. Collins continued to search for her son until her own death on December the 8th, 1964. Okay, now I see why it was based on a true story. Yes. Because it had nothing to do with changes, really. No. <laughs> it's a story about the police... Being incredibly incompetent oh my gosh i know isn't it horrific <laughs> i found a boy <laughs> here's here's a child to try replace him out. the one you try lost him out. i'm sure he just is good but that that's quoted oh that's, my that's, gosh that's exactly what he said just try him out i mean for I, from for the 12 year old runaways point of view i understand it because it's just like yeah i want to go to hollywood fine I'll, yeah I'll, I'll play along with this i've got nowhere else to go like that's i understand not, it there's not a child being like evil or malicious no. that's a child without very much foresight yeah. going if I pretend to be this boy, <laughs> yeah. I can get to Hollywood. But that poor woman. Yeah. Like, that is mad. That's crazy. I hate stories like that. Because I don't I don't think all police are like that. No, not at all. At all. But it's just, they're the ones you hear, aren't they? You only hear the ones where yeah, they're and you so have... incompetent. And I've just been reading about police incompetence as well recently. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. You know, the police force is obviously huge. There's always going to yeah. be, you know, bad eggs that are going to be in there. Which is difficult, but it, it it's true. They are the ones you hear about. But I didn't know that story. How in the world does that happen? I just don't, I don't get it. It's I, mad. I feel like, I thought it was the story that we saw on BuzzFeed. What's that BuzzFeed? Unsolved. One? Yeah. Do you remember that little oh, boy that went off walking yeah. and that came back with another little boy? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it, they'd just stolen another. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. The police like nicked another kid. And they were like, here, have this one instead. <laughs> Which is... But I guess if you're under loads of pressure and there's loads of public outcry and, and everybody's turning against you going, you need to find this kid, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I, I guess in a and way... And you're going from a photograph as well, probably not from actually seeing the kid yeah. in the flesh. So if you find another kid that's lost that looks like a toddler that you've got a picture of, I get it. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, fuck it, let's just try this one But when see. it's a 12-year-old boy and the mum <laughs> and the community are going, this is not the kid, yeah. and you're going, just try it out. Just I'm try sure him out for size. Things, things will work out, I'm sure. <laughs> so obviously... I wanted to start with that because it's a really famous changeling story. Yeah. But it's not a real changeling story. Yeah, because I was going to say, I didn't know there was anything about changelings in Los Angeles. There's changeling lore all over the world. Yeah. Which I thought it was primarily a Celtic thing, but it's yeah. actually not. It's from, it's a, it, changeling lore occurs in all different communities and all different societies all over the world. So you ready for some history? Yeah, love a bit of history. Okay, so this comes from randomdescent.wordpress.com which is a very lovely surmising of the lore around changelings. It sounds very political as well, but it's not, is it? Because it's descent as in going down rather than descent. Are you ready? Yep. When you scratch the surface, most human beings share the same common primal fears. Chief among them is the loss of a loved one, especially a child. The idea of the changeling that fairies could steal a child away possibly forever and leave a horribly altered substitute in its place is one of the most sinister traditions in Irish folklore. Why would a fairy steal a human child? Many believed that fairy babies were ugly and troublesome, whereas human infants were docile and beautiful. Fairies were always attracted to beauty and music. It wasn't just babies that were at risk, but good-looking young men and women. In Ireland, it was common to exchange an elderly dying fairy with a baby. Others believed that a fairy infant needed mortal food to thrive. 
Perhaps the most sinister purpose for stealing away a human child comes from the Scottish tradition. The Scots believed that the fairies had done a deal with the devil, and every seven years they owed him a tithe. The devil demanded a blood sacrifice, but the fairies' high self-regard would prevent them from killing one of their number. The fairies abducted a child in order to, to pay their blood dues. Crossbreeding was another motive for kidnap. In order to prevent their bloodlines becoming choked, the fairies took humans to inject fresh blood into their clans. Whatever the reason, how would a parent know they had a changeling on their hands? Their formerly bonny baby would suddenly sicken and fail to thrive. Conversely, their appetite may become prodigious and they may literally eat the new family out of house and home. However, no matter how much they consumed, they remained sickly and wan. The new replacement could be deformed with strange features. They may be aloof, cry constantly and generally misbehave. They may be unable to talk. If all this wasn't unnerving enough, another belief states that fairies sometimes do not leave a replacement at all. Instead, they may enchant a block of wood or a lump of wax to look like the missing child. In this case, the enchantment will soon wear off and the child will die, revealing its real appearance. Throwing the log on the fire was thought to restore the child. To prevent a child from being snatched, iron, a great enemy of fairies, was left near the crib, usually in the form of fire tongs or scissors. In Ireland, people were warned not to overlook the baby, i.e., look upon them or the parents with envy. All traditions, including Scandinavian and German, agreed that baptising the baby as quickly as possible would prevent fairy abduction. Even if you had done everything right, you might still be unlucky. Take the story of the Welsh widow woman who the fairies tricked into thinking that her cattle were in distress. While she tended to her stock, the fairies snatched her lovely young son and left a changeling in his place. With the help of a local wise man, she gets the child back. But how do you get a child back from fairyland? Even if you succeed, you may find the child irrevocably changed. The Irish note that the child may always long for fairyland. On the other side of the world, the Japanese believed the child must be returned before they ate fairy food or else the exchange was irreversible. In the legend of the widow of Lian Fabon, the wise man instructs her to perform several unusual tasks, including brewing beer in an eggshell and cooking a fully feathered chicken. Performing actions like this would cause the changeling to forget himself and pass a remark about never having seen anything like it, despite being as old as the hills. Having been rumbled, the changeling would disappear and the human child would return. But other actions were more sinister, including burning and drowning. There are cases on the books involving parents killing a suspected changeling child. One case occurred in Kerry, where in 1884, Anne Roach drowned three-year-old Michael Leahy who could not stand or speak. To any modern reader, the symptoms of a changeling child may be conflated with autism, Down syndrome and a host of developmental and congenital disorders. It is heartbreaking to think how these children were treated before the advent of modern science and understanding. Truly, changeling belief is the most sinister in all of Irish folklore. What are your thoughts? So, I think that it's cuckooing. What do you mean? Well, they take the decent baby and they give you their one that's going to eat you out of house and home like cuckoos do. That's what cuckoos do. Yeah. They lay their eggs in other birds' back, don't they? Yes, they do. So I think it's like that. 
Because I don't that... see the point. If they just if it was if it was just a case of stealing the human baby, they wouldn't need to replace, would they? They just take it. They just take it and go. Yeah. But it is like I guess it is like cuckooing, and in in modern terms, did you know that the police refer to cuckooing as gangs or drug dealers taking over the home of a vulnerable person and using it as a base? Yes. Isn't that I, I just yeah. love the phrase cuckooing. I think it's really clever. But it's I mean it's it's that need to explain what you can't explain. And the only thing that Irish people had at the time was the supernatural. And fairy lore is a lot about bad luck. And it's a lot about bad things happening to people. And not really understanding why bad things happen to people. Especially if people were like, you know, good Christian people. Why in the world would a bad thing happen to you? Well, of course, it's, you know, it's fairies. And it's and it's an easy way to explain it. And if you've got a child in the 1800s who has is displaying autistic traits or who has a congenital disease or whatever. Or it's just a fat baby that likes to eat. Or it's just a fat baby that likes to eat. But it's not even... It's about the change. Okay. It's about a child suddenly becoming something that they weren't before. Yeah. Or a child changing over time and that mother going, that's not my child. Because my child previously was a, you know, quote unquote, normal baby. And now they're behaving in a different way. How do you explain that? Fairies is yeah. the easiest way to explain it. Do you think there's any truth in it? I'm not um I'm not gonna diss fairies on air because I know how, how how important they are in Irish law and I don't want anything to happen to me. You so, don't yes. want to wake up with thorns in your bed. It's a hundred percent true. There used to be a story that we read when we were kids in a school book and it was about um they took something from a fairy circle and then they kept waking up with thorns in their bed. If you're an Irish listener and you remember that story, can you please message me? It's probably in that book, isn't it? What the fuck is in that book? No, it's not. It wasn't. It was like a child's <laughs> oh, book. Okay. It, maybe it was like a school book or something. I don't remember. But I remember there being, they would wake up with thorns in their bed. And it was because they annoyed the fairies. Yeah. These don't, two little kids. Stuff happening to me. Thank you very much. Particularly if they look like monsters from Descent. Going to do a bit of a... So what, hang on, just before we move on. What happens to the human baby when it goes with the fairies? Do they raise it? Yeah, they raise it and they live in the fairy world. Okay. There was some, there's some like belief that, so there's loads of different lore about it. Some of it is that, you know, they're raised in the fairy world. Obviously, like I said, they're used to make sure the bloodlines don't get incestuous. Sometimes they are eaten. They're sacrificed and eaten by the fairies. That's a really dark one. A lot of the times in changing tradition, it's like I said, it's not just babies. If you had somebody who was particularly talented musically, they might be taken away by the fairies. The reason being that they would entertain the fairies with their musical ability. And then the fairies would leave a changeling in their place. And in modern terms, really what we're looking at is depressive episodes where people suddenly are musical and creative and they're stunning and brilliant. And then one day they just stop. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's clearly what we would call a depressive episode, but in those times, it's like Jesus Christ. They've been taken by the fairies to play music in the underworld. So when they're babies, do they just deteriorate to fairy standards? Well, because they said, didn't it? it said that one of the history, one of the bits of history was that the fairy babies, the ones that are born as fairies, needed like regular food to thrive. Yeah. So then, obviously, fairy food isn't that good. So they just revert back to being. I don't really know. I think you're. I think you're taking this too literally. Oh, I want to know how it works. Well, I don't know. Let's let's go and find a fairy ring and find out. No, I'm alright. Bridget Cleary. Yep. Does that name mean anything to you? No. Okay, so this comes from an article from mentalfloss.com, and there's also an episode of Lore about it, which was where I first heard this story, and it's a great, great story about the dangers of changelings. 
Okay. And this is a recorded story in Irish history. So this isn't a legend. This really happened. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. The policemen had been combing the green yards and fields of Ballyvadley, Ireland for a week when they finally found Bridget Cleary. The girl's body had been wedged beneath several inches of clay and a jumble of thorn bushes. But her corpse showed wounds caused by something much worse than branches. Her spine and lower limbs were so badly burned that parts of her skeleton were exposed. She was naked, except for a stocking and one gold earring, and her head was encased in a sack. The judge would later describe the events leading up to Bridget's death as demonstrating a degree of darkness in the mind, not just of one person, but of several, a moral darkness, even religious darkness. It was the end of the 19th century, not exactly the Middle Ages, but those involved in the end of Bridget's life had become convinced that she wasn't really herself, and that a supernatural creature had taken her place. Bridget was the wife of a cooper named Michael Cleary, and the pair were regarded around town as a relatively happy couple. They shared their cottage in a remote townland near Tipperary with Bridget's father, Patrick Boland, and had no children. Michael was nine years Bridget's senior and earned a decent salary. She brought in some extra income by working as a seamstress and egg seller. By all accounts, they were more prosperous than their neighbours, likely thanks to her resourcefulness. As a literate, independent and fashionably dressed working woman, she was part of an emerging class in a rural society that had long been based in agriculture and the oral tradition. It was also a society steeped in legends of the supernatural. Fairy belief, in particular, was pervasive in Irish rural societies at the time and had long coexisted with Christian doctrine. Children grew up hearing legends of the little people from the earliest days and learned how to appease them by leaving untasted food on the table, for example, or saying bless them whenever the fairies were mentioned. The fairies were blamed for everything that went wrong. Lost items, spoiled milk, bad crops. As one County Sligo man interviewed at the start of the 20th century told an anthropologist, nothing is more certain than that there are fairies. Bridget herself was known to be fascinated by the beings and to take trips to the most fairy-ridden spots around town. She may have visited such a spot on Monday, March the 4th, 1895, when she went to deliver eggs to her father's cousin, Jack Dunn. The area was home to a ring fort, an early medieval circular fortified settlement believed in Irish folklore to be a fairy fort and thus to be avoided at all costs. Yet Bridget often visited the fort and she likely spent time there that Monday after delivering the eggs. It was a cold morning, the mountains still covered in the snow that had fallen the previous day. And after the two or three mile walk, Bridget couldn't seem to warm up when she got back home. She spent the following day in bed, shivering and complaining of a raging pain in her head. That Saturday, her father walked four miles in the heavy rain to ask the doctor to call on her but the doctor wasn't able to visit until the following Wednesday and by then her husband had also gone to summon him twice. They should have been reassured by the doctor's diagnosis, nervous excitement and slight bronchitis but it wasn't this ailment that worried Michael. He was convinced that the bedridden woman in their cottage was too fine in his own words to be his wife and that she was two inches taller than the woman he had known. 
At some point, Michael had developed the belief that Bridget had been replaced by a fairy changeling as she passed near the fairy fort. It is likely that this idea was planted in Michael's head by his confidant, Jack Dunn. According to Irish historian Angela Burke, who has researched the case extensively, the 55-year-old Dunn was a charismatic man rumoured to have the power of divination. He was known in the area as a Shan Key, a sort of storyteller well-versed in fairy mythology. On Wednesday afternoon, after the doctor's visit, a priest visited. He wasn't overly concerned about the illness, but decided to administer the last rites in case it worsened. The ceremony emphasised the fact that Michael could lose his wife, which distressed him even more. He talked to Dunn, who urged him to act immediately or the real Bridget will be lost forever. It is not your wife in there, the older man reminded him. This is the eighth day, and you had a right to have gone to Ganey, the local fairy doctor, on the fifth day. The cooper duly visited Ganey the following morning. He came back with a mixture of herbs that needed to be boiled in new milk, the nutrient-rich first milk produced by a cow after calving. That night, Michael forced the bitter concoction down Bridget's throat while Dunn and three male cousins pinned her down in the bed. Relatives outside the house heard someone, likely Michael, shouting, Take it, you witch, or I'll kill you. The men threw urine at her and shook her, yelling, Away with you! Come home, Bridget Boland, in the name of God! Other relatives and neighbours came and went, witnessing her ordeal and hearing her screams, but were too scared to intervene. Michael asked his wife to answer her name three times. Are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary, in the name of God? The men then brought her to the fireplace and held her over the grate. Ordeals by fire were known to drive out the fairies, while they repeated the questioning. By midnight Thursday night, the ritual seemed to be completed. Bridget was wild and deranged, according to her cousin Joanna, but her husband seemed satisfied, and her relatives thought there would been some sort of catharsis. The following morning, at Michael's request, the priest said mass in Bridget's bedroom in order to banish the evil spirits that were left in the house. On Friday, March the 15th, for the first time in 11 days, Bridget got out of bed and dressed in her usual fashionable clothes to give her courage when she would go among the people, as Joanna later told the magistrates. Several family members had joined them in their cottage for tea later in the day when an argument erupted. Bridget had asked for some milk, which had rekindled Michael's suspicions. Fairies are known in folklore to yearn for fresh milk. Bridget was probably exhausted and she didn't want to be questioned anymore. Your mother used to go with the fairies and that is why you think I'm going with them, she told her husband. Michael was furious. He demanded she eat three pieces of bread and jam, perhaps to reinforce his control over her, asking her to say her name again. She answered twice and ate two of the three pieces. But when she hesitated for a moment on the third, her husband flung her on the ground and threatened her. If you won't take it, down you will go. Michael jabbed his knee into her chest, forcing the bread and jam down Bridget's throat. He began tearing off her clothes, leaving only her chemise, then grabbed a hot stick from the fire and held it close to her mouth. He struck her head on the floor, then set her chemise alight. Within a few minutes... He had also poured paraffin lamp oil over her, encouraging oh the God. flames. As her body was burning, Michael said in front of shocked relatives, She's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife. 
Relatives yelled at Michael to put out the flames, but Bridget blazed up in a minute, according to their later testimony. They huddled in fear in a nearby bedroom, the flames soon barricading their way. Once the flames had died down, Michael wrapped her body in a sheet and shoved it in an old bag. Then he left the house, locking Bridget's relatives inside with the corpse. They waited for about an hour, praying. When Michael returned, he was wielding a knife and threatening to kill Bridget's cousin, Patrick Kennedy, if he didn't help him bury Bridget's body. Come on out here now, he shouted. I have the hole nearly made. The two men carried the body to a boggy area about a quarter of a mile uphill from the cottage and buried it in a shallow grave. Back in the cottage, Michael made the rest of the family swear they wouldn't tell the authorities. The following morning, an agitated Michael arrived at Drangan Church with Dunn. Dunn wanted Michael to speak to a priest. But when the priest saw him kneeling in front of the altar, weeping, tearing his hair and asking to go to confession, he thought he wasn't fit to receive the sacrament. He spoke to Dunn instead, who hadn't been at the cottage at the time of Bridget's death, but told the priest that Michael had claimed to have burned his wife the previous night. I've been asking them all morning to take her up and give her a Christian burial, Dunn added. Bewildered and thinking them both insane, the church minister reported their conversation to a police sergeant. For the next few days, the police searched for Bridget and questioned her friends and relatives. Even though Michael spoke about emigrating or committing suicide to escape the law, he still hoped his real wife would come back. For three consecutive nights, starting the day after visiting the priest, he waited at the ring fort where he believed she would appear, galloping on a white horse. He said he would only have to cut the ropes that bound her to the animal and she would be his forever. On Wednesday, March the 20th, the Royal Irish Constable issued arrest warrants for eight people from Bridget's Circle, as well as Dennis Ganey, the fairy doctor. Two days later, police found Bridget's body. The prisoners were brought before the magistrates on March 25th, ushered in by the angry screams of a crowd who had learned of the case through extensive press coverage. On July the 5th, 1895, after a two-day trial, Michael was found guilty of manslaughter and imprisoned along with Jack Dunn, Patrick Boland and four of Bridget's cousins, including Patrick Kennedy. The judge ruled out the verdict of murder, explaining they had all acted out of genuine belief. Michael was released in 1910, after which he boarded a ship for Montreal. Dunn served a three-year prison sentence before returning to the area where he kept working as a labourer. God knows I would never do it but for Jack Dunn, Michael had reportedly said not long after burning Bridget. It was he who told me my wife was a fairy. During her illness, Bridget was visited by her aunt, Mary Kennedy, and told her, He's making a fairy of me now. He thought to burn me about three months ago. Her words suggested this wasn't the first crisis of its kind. Although we can only speculate about the couple's disagreements, there were rumours in the village that Bridget had a lover. Contemporary newspapers reported Michael saying his wife used to be meeting an Eggman on the low road. But the rumours pointed to a young caretaker, William Simpson, who had visited the Cleary's cottage with his wife the night before Bridget's death. In his court testimony, Simpson explained he had arrived as the four men were restraining Bridget and he had asked them to leave her alone. Although Michael and the other people involved in the killing were never formally psychiatrically assessed, a 2006 article from the Irish Journal of Medical Science suggested that Michael may have been suffering from a psychotic state known as Capgras syndrome, 
which involves the belief that a person has been replaced by an imposter. The author suggested that Michael may have developed a brief psychotic episode as he struggled to deal with his wife's illness, sleep deprivation and the recent death of his father, news of which had reached him in the middle of his attempted cure on the Thursday night. In Capgras syndrome, the socio-cultural context of the sufferer determines the nature of the imposter, which can be another person or even a supernatural being such as an alien or a fairy changeling. In our discussion of the supernatural beliefs related to the case, Burke notes that the message of fairy legends is that the unexpected may be guarded against by careful observance of society's rules. Bridget Cleary was ambitious, independent and childless, a modern woman. She didn't conform to the patriarchal norm, which may have made her appear to some in her life as closer to the fairy realm than to their own. Even today in Tipperary, her story hasn't been entirely forgotten. The local children have a nursery rhyme that runs, Are you a witch or a fairy, or are you the wife of Michael Clary? What are your thoughts? It's very interesting, isn't it, where even as the man is getting convicted of burning his wife to death, they're still going, oh yeah, but she was having an affair. She was having an affair, that's the (laughs) rumour. And what really interests me about this story was that it wasn't, apparently it wasn't the first time. Yeah, and it's just He had tried to burn her for a fairy. And he's just, uh, there's a syndrome for it. I'm not convinced about that. There is a syndrome for it. There is a syndrome for it. Is it? Yeah, Capgras syndrome is a real syndrome. Mm. But people generally believe that it's like, I mean, in modern times, it's not very changelings. It's like, oh my God, that person is an alien or that person. But it's a real psychiatric illness. Do I think that he had this psychiatric illness? I don't know. I don't think he did. I think he was probably an unwell man. Oh, yeah. But it might have just, it might have just been because she's not conforming. Like the guy, the person that wrote the paragraph said at the end. Yeah, I think it's kind of potentially rage and jealousy. Yeah. And... Stoked by another guy in his family telling, her, <laughs> telling him that she was a fairy. Yeah, and that he needed to bring her to a fairy doctor. It's interesting that she went to all the fairy sites though, isn't it? That she was interested yeah. in it. I mean, that would obviously lend credence to the to the kind of suggestion that he had this psychiatric illness that made him believe that she was a fairy imposter. If she was convinced or if she was obsessed with fairies or was interested in fairies. But then she reportedly said, you only think I'm a fairy because your mum, your mother ran with fairies. So there was obviously his world was surrounded by women who believed in fairies. Ran with or the fairies. Who, yeah. So like running with horses. Or went with the fairies. Wow. He obviously, his life had been surrounded by women who believed in fairy lore. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and horrific at the same time as well. I can't, like, oh, that's setting her light and then pouring paraffin on her as well. Yeah. And everybody, what's mad about this story is everyone sat around and watched this yeah. happen. Nobody intervened. Nobody intervened. Oh. So all of this family hid in a bedroom because they were frightened of him. And he's setting fire to their, their family member yeah it was her family that were there that watched this happening crazy i wonder what happened to him when he got to montreal who knows that's a really interesting question i'm sure there'd be some probably try you could trace him easy enough i think yeah to a point because the records tend to be quite decent for immigration at that point don't they so yeah it's the, it's the end him. of the 1800s yeah. so it's not a bazillion years ago yeah wow what a crazy story it's not really like your traditional like child been stolen story but it's Mm-mm. like brutal it is brutal and I wanted to do that story because I was like okay I could look up like changing stories but actually the lore is around people not understanding illnesses Mm. or people not being able to cope with somebody who didn't fit into normal society or societal norms that were perpetuated at the time that's where the lore comes from 
Do we know that there's no such thing as fairies, though? No, we don't know there's no such thing as fairies. Just, just want to. I'm adding that as a caveat, fairies, in case you're listening. I mean, the fairies are well renowned for listening to podcasts in the you underworld. Don't know. They like entertainment. They do like musical entertainment. That's true. Maybe the changelings instas have gone down in recent because they just start stealing iPhones instead. Maybe that's it. They're stealing iPods. Yeah. iPhones. Yeah. And you know when you lose your phone and you're like, yeah. where the fuck did I promise I lost yeah. it on that night out? No, you didn't, babe. Nope. It was the fairies. Fairies took it for entertainment. Because they heard an iPhone playing like Beyonce one day and they're like, oh my word, that machine is singing beautiful music. Let me take this. And, and it would be Beyonce as well, And then now it? they've taken it all down and they've just got like all your old phones that you can't find, you know, when you get an upgrade. Yeah. They're just with fairies. They're in the underworld. Jamming tunes. And they're like, why didn't why didn't this not happen sooner? All those people we've needlessly killed. <laughs> There's a lot of um, reflection of the the myth of Persephone as well. That if you eat the food of the underworld, you're stuck there. Yeah. And you don't get to come back again. Yeah, and it was, well, that but the Cleary story reminded me of um, the witches. It was a similar kind of thing, isn't it? It's not being able to explain that behaviour and just going, ah, oh, yeah, witch, ah, uh, fairies. Because which I mean, which um killings weren't a big thing in Ireland but fairy changeling lore was massive yeah. which is it's fundamentally the same idea and we only had fairies in the 1800s when they started to work out the doctor photos that was when we were that's the only time we got interested in it really I think. oh really yeah there's not really the same kind of lore in I mean it, it exists but it's just not as well known like you guys still talk about it we stopped talking about I mean, it fairy lore in Irish culture like they're not those little things with wings that you see in that picture no. they're like some people call them like people of the light where they're like normal sized people but they glow they're really bright sometimes they're just like smaller than the average person but not they're not these tiny little things with fluttery sometimes wings sometimes they're just the creatures from the descent sometimes they're creatures like really ugly mm. scary creatures from the descent sometimes yep. they're that yeah. it depends on where you're from in the country I guess but I think the law just isn't doesn't happen didn't happen over, as much over here we just went down the witches, witches route I think yeah. it was easier you know all those cheating wives She's a witch. <laughs> Would you like some reviews? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so we have three new reviews this week. The first one comes from Tina after Chris. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. She had no her from Instagram. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, cool. And this is entitled New Favourite. If you want to be scared and have a good laugh at being scared, this is the podcast for you. I love listening to this podcast on my commute to and from work. One of my favourite parts in each episode is when Emma asks Dan if he's ready and Dan usually says no. <laughs> and then Emma goes, let's do this, and launches into a spooky story. I find myself looking forward to my drive because I can listen to them and it gets almost too scary they say something funny to lighten the mood. Thank you and keep it up. I'm going to become. I'm going to be going to your Patreon shortly after writing this. Thank you so much. Thanks. I do so. I genuinely try to switch it to something funny when I'm feeling scared. Yeah, he does. <laughs> And then, mechanism. and then there's one from SMH0302, which I believe means shaking my head. Mm. It might not in On this the context. 3rd of February. So, great podcast. I love this podcast. It's very entertaining. I enjoy that they rate mu- movies at the beginning of each show because I love hearing and talking about scary movies, though I don't always agree with their personal opinions. The stories they choose are generally great, and I love the way they tell them, discuss them, and add a hint of humour along the way. Overall, a great listen. I breezed through 20 episodes in about two weeks. Thank you, guys. And finally, we've won from Wow Wow, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, zero, nine, eight. Nice. It's entitled, These Are Amazing. I love these stories so much, they gave me the heebie-jeebies. Nice. I like the heaps. The heebs. The heebies. <laughs> so that was um, a little bit of a different episode this week where we didn't 
it wasn't it was more so about lore loads of people have messaged me asked me to talk about changelings so i thought you know what what better week to do it than when we talk about a hole in the ground or the yes. hole in the ground or whatever it was it's called it's the hole because i was giggling this morning with a hole in the ground i got a whole load of stuff i didn't want to see really I, just holes in the ground oh okay interesting mm. um there's a niche market for everybody yeah. really isn't there yeah. <laughs> Imagine there's someone that that's what their Google searches consist of. Holes and grounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find me on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You can find Dan on Instagram at 50p Movie Club. You can find us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can find us on Facebook, which is Real Life Ghost Stories um, Facebook page. And then there is a super secret super group which is RLGS Supergroup, where people are gorgeous and post memes and funny stories and scary stories oh, and all those things. The memes this week. Oh. The memes this week of Dan have been incredible. <laughs> Thank you all for putting such effort into making memes of Dan. It, my phone is just full of pictures of me now. Yeah, it just, just made my life. It was it was incredible. <laughs> you can send us in your stories to real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month, you get an extra spooky story a week. And for $2 a month, you get the complete back catalogue and the new series of Dan's other podcast, 50p Movie Club, which is what, Dan? It is where I find movies in the 50p section of CEX and I watch them with Dave Keane and we um, talk about them. Wow, that sounded really good, didn't it? We watch movies and we talk about them. But Dave Keane has a lovely Scottish accent, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dave so, Keane is worth listening to. We're working our way around the British Isles. I just need somebody <laughs> Welsh next. Jade or Owen, if you're listening. No, Owen's not Welsh. No, Owen's not Welsh. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> making a Welsh by association. Jade, if you're listening, you need to come on and do an episode so we can have it pretty... Welsh? Owen, are you Welsh? No, Owen isn't Welsh. Okay. Owen, are you Welsh? <laughs> I'm trying to hear his voice in my head and it's not sounding very well. Oh, I thought you listened to I'm listening to the microphone. <laughs> in case he's going to be talking out of it. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.